Hey, Robert. Hey, Ron. So uh, we've talked about this in the past, but there's there's a lot of exciting things happening in the kind of pharma biotech space. I think the FDA this week approved, uh, or last week approved the first um, CRISPR application, the first uh, uh, gene editing treatment for uh, uh, sickle cell uh, anemia. And, and it's, uh, I mean, the results I th I, 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 that I've seen have just been astounding. It was, it was also approved even previously by the British authorities. And there's a lot in the pipeline. Um, hopefully that'll be approved over the over the next uh, next few months, next next few years, and there's just a lot of interesting breakthroughs. There's a lot of interesting science. There's a lot of uh, cool stuff happening. You you had a story about this technology about uh, that that has the potential to get rid of all cavities uh, once and for all. Yeah, and it's 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 sort of the polar opposite of CRISPR. Uh, when I saw the news, I also saw something that suggested that you know the original CRISPR technology uh, was able to edit about 15% of the genome. And apparently they've got it up to close to 100%. So as you would expect, it's initially this breakthrough, but then there's been continuous improvement and very, very rapid improvement. Uh, but you know the ingen ingenuity doesn't always require huge technological breakthroughs. It's it's being doing things and being aware of what's going on and looking for answers to why things are the way they are. And there is a, a new treatment that is a prophylactic. It's a preventative for tooth decay. So the idea is not to, to cure tooth decay and cavities, but to set it up so you don't have them at all. And it's super clever and has all sorts of you know, challenges that you wouldn't think initially because you know most people know that Tooth decay is caused because food in your mouth, particularly sugars, get metabolized by bacteria. And one of the um, bacterial waste ingredients is acidic. And there are particular bacteria that produce a lot of acid from sugar. And that acid eats in the enamel of the tooth. And then you end up with um, cavities. Uh, and what uh, these, these people have found is that there are naturally occurring bacteria in some people's mouths, uh, you know, a, a mutation on that type of, not that particular bacteria, but on a different bacteria that makes it both robust, the bacteria, but also produce very little acid in its waste. And so if you could have, if you could replace the bacteria that produce a lot of acid with the bacteria that don't produce hardly any acid at all, then you would be able to uh, have no tooth decay, no acid being produced and, and virtually no tooth decay. And what they found is there's a particular type of the, the low acid bacteria that produces a, a mild antibiotic as, as a waste ingredient that helps it outcompete the high acid bacteria. And so what they're doing is they're giving people deep cleanings, which means you know getting rid of a lot of the bacteria in your mouth. You can't get rid of all of it, yep. but you can get rid of a lot of it and then it repopulates. But after the cleaning, you put the desirable bacteria, the one that outcompetes the, the high acid bacteria, but doesn't produce much acid, you inoculate that into the mouth, it gets a foothold and then it can't be, uh, at, you know, with the existing biome that we know of, it, it won't be replaced. 
Now you can't just toss it in the mouth and expect it to replace the entrenched bacteria that are in there causing cavities. But if you get them out, so step one, deep cleaning, most people get their teeth clean. So this is not a big deal. Step two, bacteria, your mouth is full of bacteria. You can't avoid it. Seems like a no brainer, except they uh, were looking at it and said, we, we can't go through the FDA for this. You know, it just costs too much to get right. a treatment approved by the FDA. So this can't be a medical treatment uh, because it's a one shot deal. You know, you, you get a dental cleaning and then you get this in and uh, if you charge enough to make it interesting after having paid the cost of getting FDA approved, well, then, you know, you're not going to have a huge market and it's a very low cost treatment. Like you could make money by charging, you know, $200 for the deep cleaning and $200 for the, the inoculation. And then you don't get cavities for lifetime. Uh, so what do they do? Well, they're very clever. Uh, they are trying to get it approved as a supplement. Uh, based on the fact that there are existing supplements that are being sold that are uh, microbial. Uh, you know, a lot of the probiotic movement is introducing good bacteria into your gut. And that's accepted. That's seen as healthy and safe. And doing the same thing to your mouth is not a big stretch and, and wouldn't require huge clinical trials and wouldn't cost, you know, $2 billion to get passed. So, uh, the, the tooth decay may become a thing of the past because these folks have figured out a way to improve the biome in your mouth and more importantly, to bypass the FDA approval process. So something that's safe and effective can actually reach people. That is so cool. That is so cool. But this whole FDA approval, which is super expensive, unbelievably expensive, and then what happens is drug companies then charge a lot of money for, for the drugs that they finally get approval on because I, I can't share the number. It's something like $1.6 billion to get a drug through the trials and through approval and everything. And, uh, and, and, um, and most drugs don't make it through the approval. So uh, they have to charge a lot of money, but this is of course creates massive political angst. People don't like to pay and it's, and uh, insurance goes up. Healthcare prices seem to go only go up. Uh, there's this constant political uh, talk about this. So uh, the Biden administration is is really dedicated to finding ways to, to cutting uh, drug prices. I think we talked in a previous show about their efforts uh, uh, to list the top 10 most expensive drugs and then force those drug companies to lower the price, basically put price controls on them. They don't call it that because they say it's just Medicare negotiating, but Medicare negotiates with a big, big gun. Um, and now they've come up with a new scheme, which is which is kind of interesting, <laughs> horrible, but interesting. And that is that if your drug was based on research that the government funded, at, at, at basic research the government funded, which a lot of drugs are today because the government basically funds much of, uh, of medical basic research, then the government is going to have the right to, if they don't like the price that you're charging, to basically allow other companies to give them the patent in a sense, uh, share the patent with them so that they can use the same basic research to develop a good drugs that compete with you. In other words, void your patent protection, which allows you to charge those high prices to recuperate the costs uh, of everything. Um, and it seems like there's this idea 
that you can you can subsidize the industry, you can regulate it, price control it, and there are no consequences to it, right? It 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 it's just okay. We get lower prices. That's cool. Let's let's go for it. So, talk a little bit about what 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 happens when when all of this uh, unfolds. Well, it's a it's a really interesting question because it comes down to intellectual property, and intellectual property is a complex trade off from an ingenuism standpoint. Intellectual property reduces connection because you you get a you know a, a legally mandated monopoly for a period of time, but it also improves the incentives and the resources available for experimentation, exploration, discovery, and and then you know actually turning ideas into useful insights and sometimes life life saving drugs. I'm going to push back on one thing that you said. You know, I agree with all of it, with the exception of healthcare costs tend to go up, 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 except for pharmaceuticals that come off of patent protection. Yep. So when something becomes generic, the price typically falls by you know somewhere from 70 to 90%. So you get the same efficacy you know, a year later uh, with a much, much lower cost. Now you have to wait through the, that first period. And for people who either want to ignore economics or don't understand economics, uh, the, there's the thought, well, we should just shorten that period. Uh, and it's it's worth talking about as long as you acknowledge the trade-offs. And I haven't seen any discussion of the trade-offs on this particular this particular proposal. But then this administration shoots proposals out like a machine gun. Uh, I don't think this one is even plausible, uh, not just because of the economics, but because the original, you know, the original legislation um, was uh, Birch Bayh and Bob Dole, you know, a, a, they went across the aisle. So it was a bipartisan decision of, look at, there's a serious problem as we have all this basic research, but nobody is using it. So we basically have these ideas and these hints, but nobody is producing useful insights from it and actual commercialized products to benefit the you know, entire world. Uh, so there's a huge potential gain. It's like the $20 bill sitting on the, on the sidewalk. You know, sometimes they're there, but then you need to pick them up. And what this legislation was was to do is to have it have a channel for the, those scientific discoveries to become useful products. And one of the, the clauses in it was, you know, if you take some intellectual property that was produced in a government lab or in a university lab, because universities had the same technology transfer problem as the there wasn't clear ownership of intellectual property. So nobody wanted to put the, at that time, it was only $500 million to get an approved treatment, but now it's 2 billion. Nobody was willing to do that. So you just had discoveries languishing. So the, the clause was, if you take that intellectual property, but you don't use it, we will take it back and get let someone else take it that will use it. So you you couldn't just grab and hold these patents. You had to actually develop them. And the language that they used was to make it um, readily available to the public. And if you look back at the conversations at the time in the legislation around the legislation, it was very clear. There are very clear statements saying that price is not one of those considerations. It was, mm -hmm. do you take this and do you commercialize it? Yep. And then you get normal patent protection, which was the carrot for for companies to do that, and helped build the U.S. pharmaceutical industry and make it, you know, global leading and life saving industry. 
and so this is now saying that the proposal is to say, well, to make it readily available to the public, it has to be cheap. Uh, and you know, legitimately, you could make that argument. It's just counter to the actual legislation. And you know, we we do have a constitution where the executive branch doesn't get to legislate; they only get to implement the legislation. And in this case, it seems pretty cut and dried. So my sense is that this is just another one of the the many proposals, um, and that they may keep coming back with it. But it's it's part well, we do want to do these things because we think it's important to to forgive student loans or to take back intellectual property, to lower uh, pharmaceutical prices by any means necessary, damn the consequences. Uh, and uh, there's also the optical part of it is this administration seems, oh, it, you know, there's a previous administration as well, <laughs> let's just be clear, yep. this is not yep. this bipartisan, seems to be very interested in proposals to um, make, to further their political standing. So if you think about like the, the student loan uh, forgiveness comes with an email ostensibly from Joe Biden saying, you know, I'm, I'm gonna forgive your loan, the, the forgiveness you've earned and deserve. And, and you know, Donald Trump went and made the treasury put his signature on all the COVID stimulus checks. You know, and yep. It was, the, these people are shameless. Uh, but the positive side of it is uh, I don't think there'll be a lot of meat on this, but it does point to a, a real problem for ingenuism, which is uh, regulation, not regulation, period, because regulation is part of the rules that help support a, an effective environment for innovation. But regulation as a, a weapon or as a tool to implement policy preferences. So you, you, you don't say, how are we going to make innovation work better? You say, oh, we want prescription drugs prices to be lower. So here's something we could do that in the short term would lower them. We're going to sacrifice innovation for the rest of history, but we don't really give a crap about that because we're focused on this, this other thing. And so... Uh, you look at any sort of the evolution of any regulation, it often starts with, oh, we want to do something that is, is, is very noble and often ill-defined. And then it turns into a, a, a changing set of rules, depending on who's in power, that is implementing their policy preferences. And so when you, you know, read about regulating AI, you can absolutely believe that it's necessary, but still be skeptical that it can happen in a way that would produce the results you would want and will likely not while producing you know huge unintended consequences that that you don't want and the, and the sad thing is almost always that the unintended consequences are then not blamed on the regulation so much as blamed on some other phenomena so what you get is another layer of regulations to deal with the unintended consequences that in themselves have unintended consequences. And, and, you know, if you look at regulations, they seem to always just increase over time and, and, and suppress connection, suppress experimentation. I mean, that's a big part of what regulations often do, particularly when they're top down, when they're, when they're coming from the government is, is suppress that ex experimentation, which is what, what they, they worry about and what they fear. Um, and of course, layered upon layered to the point where at some point you don't even know what is causing what. You can't even find the causal relationships because of the complexity 
um, in, in the perverse incentives are so uh, prevalent. And if you're evaluating things one by one, you're like, okay, well, we need to do this because the, the situation without it is untenable. So this isn't great, but it's better than the alternative as opposed to looking at, well, how can we optimize this across the board? Because it's not just more rules to solve the unintended consequences. Often there are straight up counterbalancing rules yep. where you end up with a bunch of rules that cancel themselves out, but you still have to follow all the rules. Uh, and you know, one way to think about this is if you look at a lot of markets, what you see is the government subsidizing it on one hand and restricting it on the other. So you see that with housing markets, you see you know, a lot of rules that make it difficult to build. And then you see money being spent to try and create affordable housing, or you see it in medicine. Or, or, or a tax deduction on mortgages just to get people into homes. You see it with on, on mortgages on both sides. Uh, you see it in the you know FDA has you, we've been we've created all of these costs and they're one size fits all. So you know you can because I I am not an advocate for just eliminating the FDA. Uh, I'm an advocate for experimenting how we can shrink it and get all of the benefits or 98% of the benefits at two percent of the cost. Uh, now is that possible? Well, Maybe the it's solution 90%. might be to privatize it and have competing FDA. But you'd have to start, you'd have to find something to replace it. Because uh, So sure. I just want it to be, to be clear that even if you think there should be an FDA, the FDA that we have makes no sense because it's applying one size fits all, you know, same to, to introducing naturally occurring bacteria into people's mouths to solve tooth decay as to creating a potentially both life-saving, but also potentially um, deadly treatment, you know, and that doesn't make any sense. Can you, I, have we lost all of our audio quality? All of our what? All of our audio quality? No, I think we're fine, why? Okay, good. Uh, well, because I just, a uh, leaf blower just came outside my office. <laughs> so, uh, and if you were to, to be looking at the entirety of any of these regulatory apparatus, or if you were starting from scratch, you would not get anything closely resembling. And when you, when you offset rules with rules, it just let's take the subsidize while also restricting. It's like subsidizing, you're trying to increase demand and restricting, you're trying to uh, either decrease supply or increase supply or decrease price. And you're eliminating the natural connection that markets have. When people work together and they decide to transact, it's, it provides really useful information. Uh, and if you are distorting prices on both sides, on both the producer and the consumer side, then you're going to get outcomes that no one would have ever dreamed of, of, of voluntarily you know, participating in. And yet everyone's participating because given all the rules, it's the best they can do. Yes, I mean it's it's um, it's uh, incredibly distortive, and and markets are these mechanisms by which, because of connection and because of feedback loops, because of feedback mechanisms, you really do over time kind of come up with solutions uh, to problems. I mean, it's not like markets eliminate all problems instantaneously. But they are they're geared towards working towards a solution. 
and they're geared towards figuring out ways to regulate problems and to get rid of problems, you know, over time again, but uh, but kind of without the unintended consequences, because there's a cost to pay for the unintended consequences, and they and the and participants in the market bear it directly. Whereas with regulations, there's a massive cost to pay, but it's not the regulators who bear it. It's it's typically consumers or, or producers who bear the cost, and uh, and 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 therefore you get you don't get the feedback mechanism that provides the right incentive for the right kind of behavior over time. And that, that's, I think, a really important way to put it, is that you have the, the feedback and the learning that happens inside a, a market where the rules are just sort of uh, emerging, they're bubbling up from what people are doing. It, that tends to solve problems, uh, like you said, not instantaneously, and it tends to uncover new problems, but they're the kind of problems that you, they're, they're better problems. Yeah. It's like you you go from uh, how do we get around? Okay, well, horses. How do we deal with all this horse crap? Well, we go to cars. Okay, how do we deal with carbon? Now we have nuclear power. How do we? You know, it's just just continually getting better. And with when you have a regulated uh, environment, it doesn't seem to get that way. It seems to get worse and worse. The problems you're you're solving problems that you don't want to have that you wish you didn't have. Uh, and that, we argue, stems 100% from people being willing to sacrifice the key elements of what makes progress happen. Uh, and you see that in the proposal for, uh, so for stepping in to take intellectual property from people who have spent billions of dollars to develop it, uh, that, that's, you're sacrificing what really makes things work versus being willing to step in and say, okay, you know, you took this intellectual property for whatever reason, you haven't developed it at all. It's, we're going to put it back in the pot and give other people a chance to develop it. Yep. I still, I, I still wish I had a time machine, go back and get those bacteria in my mouth when I was a kid, because I've got so many cavities. Um, it's, it, it, you know, it could, it would be amazing, uh, and the the one of the funny things about it is, um, you know, you're born with no bacteria in your mouth. So if we were to do this for a generation of people, the parents would almost certainly, you know, certainly in the uh, majority of cases, pass it on to their kids, not because it's genetic, but because the bacteria in your in a newborn's mouth comes from somewhere. And it almost certainly comes from, you know, in, in the cases that it's the people, it comes to the people who are around them the most. Yep. And yep. that would be the parents. So, you know, if we had gotten it, we would have given it to our kids, we would have given it to our grandkids, who would give it, like, we could get rid of most of tooth decay within a generation or two. And it still may happen because apparently this company is um, selling the first, you, you get to be, it's like, almost like an NFT, you get to be the first ones um, huh. who, you know, younger crypto type optimists who are willing to pay $10,000 so they can cover their initial costs of getting it all set up and getting it approved as a supplement. And then they'll start selling it for $200. And I'm wondering if dentists will buy it though. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it's, uh, oh. it's like 
LASIK surgery, you know, LASIK surgery um, was a huge business for a while. And then it went away because, you know, all the people who wanted it had it and you only have the next generation. This is even worse because the next generation, it's like their eyes will autocorrect just because their parents got LASIK. So it's, It'll be, be interesting how markets adapt to these kind of things, but um, it, it, that is a hundred percent progress. If we, you know, need absolutely. fewer dentists and fewer drills, I think we'll all be happy. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, thanks, Robert. I will see you next week. Thanks, Ron. Talk soon. Bye.